welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly On Leadership podcast. My name is Scott Miller. I'm privileged each week to serve as your host and your interviewer. By now, you probably also know if you're subscribing or watching with any regularity, I am also honored to be the author of the new book by HarperCollins called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. The new second version, Master Mentors Volume 2, is available now for pre-order featuring 30 new guests from our podcast. And today, our guest is a repeat of which we have less than a handful of people who've come back on two times. He was gracious enough to be featured in Master Mentors Volume 1 as Master Mentors number 15. His name is Ryan Holiday. He is the prolific writer about all things wise from the Stoics. Ryan Holiday from Texas, welcome back to On Leadership. Yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for having me twice. And I think maybe you should organize that back bookcase. What's going on there, Ryan? No time or you like the, you like the discombobulation of that? No, these are the books that I am in the middle of using now uh, on whatever project I'm happened to be writing. So these are more uh, the the books I am I am accessing and using and taking off the shelf and putting sure. back on the shelf as opposed to my actual books, which are displayed throughout my office. I remember that because I remember how many um, international rights, how many foreign translations you had on our previous podcast. You were gracious enough to join us two years ago when your book, Stillness is the Key, came out. That book and our interview has haunted me ever since then in terms of all things in the way I do not resonate with stillness being the king. In fact, I am the parent to three young boys who are 8, 10, and 12. And their mantra in our house has been, remember, Dad, stillness is the key because they know I'm not living that very well. Ryan, it's great to have you back on. Your newest book is called Discipline is Destiny. Now, I have a soft cover galley copy coming out um, in the next couple of days here from the time we air our interview. Delighted to have you back. What I'd like to do, Ryan, is I want to talk first about your history because you're a very unique author. In fact, I mentioned off air. I don't know of anybody who's in the same space you're in. You're a very unique contributor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a spouse. You're a parent. You're a writer. You're a researcher. Your path to that was a bit unconventional. Would you take a few minutes and talk a bit about your writing process? I told you that one of my favorite parts of the book was the ending, the afterword, where you talked about the struggle of, is there a book here, and, and how did it come together, and, and sort of celebrating the success of getting it done. Would you reconnect our listeners and viewers from around the world with kind of who you are, what your writing process is, and why this topic, discipline, is your next great release? Well, I, th I think people think that books are about inspiration. It's about the magic of creativity. And there is a part of that. But to me, every, every book is a work of manual labor and endurance. This one uh, being uh, a matter of discipline for me as, as well. I, I, I started the book. I've been researching it for a long time. But I started the book in the summer of 2021. And I do all my work on four by six note cards. So I research for years and years. I accumulate things on note cards like this. And I hope that I'll gather eventually all the material that I need to write a book. And as I sat down in the very dog days of summer last year in, here in Texas to write the book, it, it just wasn't coming together. I was starting to have real doubts uh, as to whether I could keep up the schedule that I'm on, whether I had the material that I needed, whether I could make the idea of, of temperance, uh, which is another word for discipline, interesting to people. And so I kind of had this dark night of the soul. You know, did I need a delay? 
Uh, was it not the right project for me? Uh, and the funny thing was I started going through my note cards. I actually start on my birthday uh, most years if I can. And I'm going through the note cards and I found a note card that I'd written to myself. I don't know why I wrote it or when exactly I wrote it, but it just said, hey, when you go through your note cards, it's not gonna feel like there's a book here. But if you stay at it, if you follow the process, it will come together. And it was right. It didn't magically come together the next day, but over time, the book did start to emerge. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the characters became clear, the stories became clear, what I wanted to say became clear. And, and eventually, as I think anyone who's worked on a big project uh, can attest, momentum started to accumulate uh, as well. And eventually the book was finished. And I'm just going through that exact thing now as I'm working on my next book, which is this process of, it doesn't feel like it's coming together. You're comparing it against who you were, what you've done in the past, but you're starting over at zero. And that's always a really intimidating, difficult place. And, and often what you need to get through that is discipline and strength and determination and a process that you follow. That's actually really valuable career advice, right? Is, you know, not always comparing our current state to what we've done in the past and how you might have sure. done it differently now in the future. Thanks for the vulnerability around that. Ryan, would you take a moment and reorient also everyone to who are the Stoics and why are they called that? And why has that been a huge source of inspiration for you, including in your new release? Yeah, I think when people hear that word Stoic, they think a person who has no emotion or they hear Stoic philosophy, they go, I don't want any part of that philosophy. I'm busy. I have a job. I run a company. I'm a leader of an organization. Um, the Stoics were people just like you, but 2,500 years ago. The most famous Stoic, Marcus Aurelius, was the emperor of Rome. There was Epictetus, a former slave. There was Seneca, who was a playwright and a businessman and an author. There were Stoics who were politicians. There were Stoics who were athletes. The Stoics were real people with real responsibilities in the world who used the philosophy to be better at that thing and to be better people while they were getting better at that thing. And so I'm fascinated in, in the Stoics as practical philosophy, the kind of philosophy that helps us curb destructive appetites, that curbs our temper, uh, that, that, that helps us be and do our best, whatever that happens to be. And for the Stoics, they, they tried to live by four key virtues, courage, temperance, justice and wisdom. So I've done now a book on courage. This is the second book in this series about temperance. And then I'm tackling justice and wisdom uh, next. But the idea for the Stoics is that any and everything that we face in life is an opportunity, indeed an obligation to try to practice one or all four of those virtues. Ryan, the title of this new release is called Discipline is Destiny, The Power of Self-Control. And in the opening, you write the following. You say, self-discipline, the virtue of temperance, is even more important, the ability to, quote, keep your ass in line, the ability <laughs> to work hard, to say no, to practice good habits and set boundaries, to train and to prepare, to ignore temptations and provocations, to keep your emotions in check, to endure painful difficulties. I, I think as a... As a thought leader in the space of, of leadership and having dedicated my career 30 years, I think self-regulation and self-discipline are probably the areas in which most leaders get themselves in trouble. It's the key sure. differentiator beyond character and competence. It's the ability to, to exhibit exactly that in our careers. 
Talk about why it's so hard in 2022 to rise to this occasion. Well, you know, it's not just, hey, uh, I'm the kind of person that gets myself to the gym. I'm the kind of person that can resist chocolate cake. I'm someone uh, who can do, you know, these sort of minor acts of self-discipline, although that is critical. To me, what's interesting about the relationship between leadership and self-discipline is the idea that as the more as you become more successful, as you become more powerful, as you begin to have power over other people, now it's even more important that you have power over yourself, right? Uh, Seneca famously says that no one is fit to rule who has not first mastered themselves. So oftentimes people who are ambitious, people who are talented, they're focusing so much on how to get into that position of leadership, how to get that job, how to get that promotion, how to build that company, and there's probably a part of them that thinks once I do that, once I become that person, then I can do anything and everything I want. But the Stokes would say, actually, no, if you achieve those things, now you have to be even more disciplined with yourself. Now, there isn't someone or something saying you can't say that. That's not OK. That's not how you treat people. That's not a good idea. You have to be the governor of yourself, right? Uh, Eisenhower also uh, has a great line about this. He said, uh, freedom is better defined as the opportunity for self-discipline. So as you achieve, let's say, financial freedom, now you can buy anything you want. Is that actually a good idea? Or do you now need to, to decide what you do, what you don't do, what you spend, what you don't spend, what you need, what you don't need? As we achieve things and acquire things and become successful and important, now self-discipline is much more an emphasis on the self part of the discipline. It's not the army telling you what to do. It's not your limited paycheck telling you what to do. It's you telling you what to do and what not to do. You know, the concept of power over self before power over others, Dr. Covey, our co-founder, would have loved you because as you likely know, he designed and wrote the seven habits of highly effective people sure. very much like that, right? The first three habits were what he called the private victory, mastery over uh -huh. self, before the next three habits, which were the public victory, victory mastery with others. I, the, the, the tenets of there are, of course, perfectly aligned. Let's talk a bit about some of the great stories in the book. I'd like you to recreate the story about Lou Gehrig and the cushions and his annoyance with cushions and why we all can learn from that. Yeah, I tell I, I was fascinated with Lou Gehrig as, a, as uh, an example of a sort of first kind of self-discipline, the discipline over the body. This is the guy with the longest streak in the history of baseball. This is a guy who plays through injuries and pain and, and uh, fatigue. I mean, famously, at, towards the end of his career, they x-rayed all of his hands, uh, his hands, and they found that he had broken every single one of his fingers multiple times and never missed a game for any of it. He just toughed it out. He was a tough guy. Uh, and that is a, a huge part of succeeding in life, the discipline to push through resistance, to push through pain. Uh, but there is a famous scene uh, as the Yankees became better and better. They win all these World Series. They paid more and more. Uh, he walks into the, the clubhouse and he sees they've redesigned the Yankee dugout. And it's the, the bench is now covered in cushions. The first thing Garrick does is start ripping them out. He didn't want to become soft. He said, everywhere I go, there's cushions. And I don't think he was just talking about the bench. He was talking about how one of the insidious parts of success is that you suddenly have a million reasons or a million temptations uh, 
against the very traits that got you there in the first place. You got there because you worked hard. You got there because you were tough. And now they're saying you don't have to work as hard. Now they're saying you don't have to be tough. Now they're saying do this, do this. And you have to, you have to be strong enough to turn that stuff down. Complacency being you know, one of the big enemies of self-discipline. In fact, you wrote in the book that he knew that getting comfortable was the enemy and that success is an endless series of invitations to get comfortable. I mean, that is such great advice to entrepreneurs, to parenting, right, in our relationships, is that success is a series of invitations to get comfortable. And we see it a lot of times with successful people that perhaps lower their standard, or they perhaps take advantage of processes or systems or become entitled and then they get themselves ethically in trouble with doing things. It's a great example of sort of always staying on your game. No, no well, that, that, that's very true. And, I, you know, I find this as a writer. What I was just telling you about my routine, my system for, for being a writer. Anyone who's written a book knows it is a painful, difficult process. There's a, an expression, painters like painting, writers like having written. It's better to have done it than to be doing it. But one of the mm -hmm. reasons I don't take a large amount of time between books is because I know if I get out of the habit of writing books, it makes it much harder to get back in the habit. I, I, I heard a, a line from a, a backup quarterback in the NFL uh, last season. He said something like, if you don't get out of shape, you don't have to get back into shape, right? Uh, the idea is if you're always ready, uh, if you're always at your fighting weight, if you're, very, if you're resistant to, to getting comfortable or complacent or entitled, um, you're not going to have to do a course correction because you never got off course to begin with. Ryan, um, one of my former leaders here in the company who now is our chairman of our board, uh, most people know him as Bob Whitman, a man that I have enormous uh, respect for. He has uncompromised character. He's an insanely competent and has lived a, a great life. He's earned everything he's um, achieved because he doesn't allow himself to get comfortable. He once shared with me a story, I hope it's not a private story, but it gives you a glimpse into, into his value of discipline, is he was once leading a turnaround of a company. I think it was prior to Franklin Covey. And I think it was a hotel chain. And every morning he needed to be in the office around three o'clock. He literally worked from like three until I think around maybe five in the evening because he was also parenting his children with his wife, who was not, I think, yeah. uh, well at the time. And so Bob slept on the floor of his bed because A, it was closer to the shower to economize his trip to the shower, but he also didn't want to be comfortable in bed because he had to be in the office, I think, at four o'clock in the morning. Now, perhaps in this extreme example, and I hope Bob finds a little bit of levity in me sharing that, but it's kind of thought, it, it, I've thought about this a lot around Bob choosing to sleep on the floor by his bed because it was easier to shower quicker and not become comfortable in bed. Do you ever find times that sometimes we take it to a bit of an extreme? You can decide For whether sure. Bob did or didn't. Um, uh, what's All things in good balance and measure, what, give us some advice around that. I mean, that is an important part of temperance. The, the Stoics said that every virtue was on a spectrum. There was uh, uh, the absence of the virtue, and then there was the excess of the virtue, and the right amount was right in the middle. And that, that, that to me, is what temperance is about. And I often find, look, most people don't have enough discipline, right? They lay on the couch. They don't work as hard as they could. They're afraid of things. Uh, they eat whatever they want. They do whatever they want, right? A lot of people have that problem. But once you get into the realm of elite performance, whether you're talking about a CEO, as you're talking about, or an athlete, or a 
creative or a politician. Um, you got where you are because you are disciplined, because you are hard and strict with yourself. But you have to be disciplined about that discipline too. We have to remember that the number one cause of injury for athletes is overtraining. Uh, you think about burnout. You think about people who are very successful at what they do professionally, but maybe it comes at the expense of their relationship with their children or the expense of their marriage. And so we have to think about even this discipline as a kind of moderation. And I talk a lot in the book about recovery, about delegation, about load management, uh, and, and realizing that it's not just about gutting it out and white knuckling it. And to go to the story of Lou Gehrig, you know, uh, Lou Gehrig did have the longest streak in the history of baseball, uh, but his manager uh, on one game where Lou Gehrig was not well, uh, rained out the game, even though there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And Lou Gehrig himself would often start games, but not finish them. So he would start to keep the streak alive, he would play, and then if the team was in a position where the game was no longer on the line, he would call in a designated hitter or a designated runner. So this was a guy who, yes, was an iron horse of a human being who pushed himself harder and further than most people ever will, but you don't last that many seasons if you're only burning the candle at both ends and you don't also manage uh, pain and injury and and focus on your recovery as well. It's great advice, knowing when to pull back, right? Liz Wiseman, a friend of ours and a colleague here at Franklin Covey, has been on the show several times, talks about multipliers in her book, Multipliers, which I think is the best leadership book ever authored. She says, you know, it's really, it's knowing when to play big and knowing when to play small. To your point, yeah. it's kind of knowing when to uh, give it your all, when to pull back, right? To, to prepare yourself or to save perhaps your talent for another time. Another concept you share in the book, I think you call Attack the Dawn. If I'm not mistaken, you use the famed author Toni Morrison as a good model of that. Will you expound on the concept of how important um, early mornings are? Yeah, Toni Morrison, she said she found that she had to get up and write and work to get it all done before she heard the word mom, right? As soon as she heard the word mom, the magic of the creativity, the free space, uh, the, the, the inspiration, her life changed, her roles in the world changed. And so she would get up very early. She said she liked, wasn't that she got up before the sunrise, it was that she had to be writing as the sun rose. This is when she needed to make contact. So I, I wouldn't describe her as a morning person. I would describe her as a disciplined person who made the most of the morning, right? Uh, there's a great passage in Marcus Aurelius's Meditations as well, book five, where he talks about struggling to get out of bed in the morning. But he says to himself, is this what you were put here to do, uh, uh, to, to stay under the covers and be warm? He says, no, you have a job, you have a, a purpose, you have a calling and you need to go do that. And so I find that the mornings are that special time, uh, the freest part of the day, when we have the most energy, when we are, are the least tied down, when we are the least burned out, uh, and we have to seize that. Now, I would say, again, part of being a morning person to talk about discipline, being a morning person does not mean you don't get sleep. To me, be, part and parcel of being a morning person is being an evening person who goes to bed at, a, at, a, at an appropriate time so that when you get up in the morning, you're not bleary-eyed and, and exhausted, but you're ready to go do that thing that you were put here to do. 
Let's pivot to my favorite of all Roman leaders, Octavian, who I didn't know existed until I read your book. So I believe, according to you in history, he was Julius Caesar's apparent heir and eventually became like Augustus Caesar or something like that. You'll correct me. Uh, but the point of the whole story, which you'll recreate, is the concept of kind of knowing when to go slow, that speed mm -hmm. isn't always the best strategy. It was our, again, co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, that said, when it comes to relationships with people, fast is slow, and slow is fast. And as a person myself who's very efficient, but not always effective with my relationships, it haunts me in a good way that fast is slow and slow is fast when it comes to building trust with people and building rapport. Talk about the importance of knowing kind of in life when to go fast and when to go slow. Yeah, so Octavian, also known as Augustus, and some people have heard of the Emperor Augustus, he begins as Octavian, the nephew of Julius Caesar, and he becomes this powerful Roman emperor, but it is a long process. Even though he's a young man going places, even though he's ambitious, uh, his favorite expression was festina lente, which in Latin translates to uh, make haste slowly, which is exactly what you just said. Slow, uh, slow is fast, right? If you're rushing it, if you're doing it sloppily, if you're doing it uh, before it is time, you're actually gonna have to do it again, or you're gonna miss your chance, and that, uh, or you're gonna blow your chance, or you're gonna upset people, or people are gonna miss it, or whatever it is, right? You're actually doing it incorrectly. So yes, there is this part of us that wants to hustle, that has initiative, that has drive, that wants to attack not just the dawn, but the day and every project in front of us. There also, we need to, we need to be patient. We need to be in control of ourselves. Um, on the cover of Discipline is Destiny, it's a, a charioteer, which is often how the, the virtue of temperance was rendered in ancient art. You think about it, sometimes you're spurring the horse, right? Sometimes you're whipping the reins to make them go faster. Sometimes you're having to slow them down because you don't want to crash, because you're going around a turn, because they're losing control. Right? And so when we think about self-control, it's not just faster, faster always, but sometimes slow down. Let's get this right. Let's do it correctly. Uh, I, I heard uh, as I, I wrote, I read a lot about Queen Elizabeth II in the book and uh, uh, a cameraman who'd filmed her a lot for, for different speeches and talks she's had to give, uh, uh, gave her the nickname One Take Windsor, meaning that when she gets on camera, she does it one time perfect every time because she's practiced it before she got there. Ryan, I want to pay you a compliment, uh, but it's going to be wrapped in a critique. You're probably All the right. most unrelatable guest we've had because of your near encyclopedic knowledge of history and uh, my favorite Roman Empire, Octavian, now to some known as Augustus Caesar. Sure, but at the sure. same time, I also think you're the most relatable. Because the fact is, you didn't earn a PhD from Yale or Harvard in the Stoics. In fact, you have actually a really relatable professional and academic history. It's one of the things that I found most fascinating about you in our previous interview. Would you remind our listeners and viewers how you became this incomparable author where all of your books become bestsellers and you're in an enormous demand for speaking? Heck, I made you a master mentor. That's, an, a, that's a bestowed honor right there. Would you just show some vulnerability and remind everybody how you got to where you are? 
Yeah, so I not only don't have a PhD in philosophy from Yale or Harvard, I'm, I'm actually a college dropout. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I am self-taught because uh, as you say in your book, I am the, a product of the mentors and teachers that I have had, but I am not um, traditionally educated in that sense. Uh, I'm fascinated by philosophy. I'm, ha I'm fascinated by history. I, I think I have a knack for it, but I, but I also just spend a lot of time on it. And um, I, I began in, in the writing world as a research assistant to a great writer, my mentor, Robert Greene, who wrote The 48 Laws of Power in a book called Mastery and The Laws of Human Nature. Um, I think one of the greatest living nonfiction authors in the world. Um, but I learned from him, even the, the note card system that I was talking to you about, I learned how to do this stuff a different way, not through the academy, you know, not through a prestigious institution, but, but you know, in a way that makes it, I think that part of what allows me to be accessible in what I write and talk about is because I'm having to access it myself as just a human being who's interested in this stuff without some of the baggage of, of you know, the, the typical way that it's done or the shibboleths of that industry or the jargon of this industry. I'm just someone who's interested in these ideas and I, I try to make them even more applicable than they were when I found them uh, myself. What's the dinner conversation like in the holiday house? What's it like to be married to you? Uh, I can't imagine it's too much fun. Uh, my wife likes to joke that uh, one of us is a stoic and the other writes about stoicism. Uh, <laughs> she, so she has had to put up with a lot. And as I say in the, in the afterward of this book, on one of my early books, uh, I just sold it. I, this would have been maybe ego is the enemy. Uh, my editor called my wife to apologize and said, you know, uh, I'm making him do it again. Um, but uh, we talk about all sorts of things. I mean, we have two young children just like you. So our, our kids make up a lot of our our conversations. We, we run this bookstore together. Uh, so we talk about that a lot. But I would say lately, uh, it, it's been it's been about books that we're, we're reading. We're both big readers and we like to share what we learn. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we keep things interesting that way. So you mentioned the bookstore. Let's talk about your side hustle. You are an entrepreneur. <laughs> you with your wife, you run a bookstore in Texas. And that keeps you, of course, connected, I'm sure, to all things uh, pandemic related and supply chain related. And you know what sure. kind of books people buy. What are some of the lessons you've learned from being a bookseller that make it into your writings? Well, you know uh, that we're talking, we're not in the same room. And the audience is not in the same room with us. And, and in fact, millions of people are listening to this all over the world. That is so cool. And it's cool. I, I've, I found that with my podcast. I found that with my books. You know, something like 60% of my book sales these days are digital, either in Kindle or audio. I love that. I love the scalability of di digital technology. But the physicality of running a bookstore has been one of my favorite parts. Having a space in a community where in a building built in the 1880s in this small town right outside, of, right outside of Austin, Texas. But to have a space that people can go and discover books and that I get to decide what's going to go in the window and that, I, that I'm thinking about it at a delightfully small scale, right? I'm not thinking how many millions of people are going to come in tomorrow. I'm also not thinking how much money is this going to make? I'll, it is a business, but nobody starts a, a bookstore in a small town in, in Texas in 2020 because you know, they want to get rich. I'm doing it because I love it and I care about it. So it's it's changed how I think about things. It's also changed 
how I've organized my life, my, my sort of home base is the bookstore. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a really wonderful experience. I would say the biggest lesson I've learned running a small business uh, is, is one, uh, be prepared for things to go wrong and, and everything that can go wrong will. There's also a wonderful law uh, uh, that, that, that states, this is sort of a law like Murphy's Law, and it basically says, it always takes longer than you expect, even when you take that law into account. Yeah. You know, we thought the bookstore would open in the summer of 2020. We we closed on the building in January of 2020. So we thought six months, you know, it opened the following January. So it took uh, well over a year to open the thing. And because of the pandemic, because of everything that was happening in my life. And so I think one thing it's definitely done is it's made me more patient. You talked about supply chain. It's like there's a global printer shortage with printing shortage with all publishers. So books take longer, events take longer, customers take. It's just really reminded me about patience. And, and as we were talking about earlier, Festina Lente, take it as it comes. Don't rush it. Just do it right. Ryan, I'll end with this thought. I'm not much into numerology, but most people have a favorite number or a lucky number. When I ask you that question, does anything come to mind? Like, does a certain number come to your mind at all? Well, uh, 15 would be my spot in Master Mentors. So, of course, that's my new favorite number. Well, I think that's a great way to end our conversation. Ryan, the book is a masterpiece. Discipline is destiny, the power of self-control. You won't need this podcast to make this book a New York Times bestseller. But uh, if people have... Uh, listened and watched you, they're going to run out and buy this book. What a great book for teens to study. Like literally, this is a great uh, book club group for organizations, for individuals. You've done a beautiful job of taking somewhat ethereal concepts from the Stoics and brought them to someone like Mai's level of understanding and vernacular. I think your writing style is a gift. Tell your wife and your children that we also thank them for their discipline and patience because your books continue to add great value to us. And we'll see you back here in a couple of years to hopefully um, talk about your next book in the series. Thank you very much. Ryan Holiday, thanks for your time. And we'll see you back here next week for another conversation on leadership.